It is February 2nd. It's Wednesday. Thanks for joining us on Real Talk. Ryan Jesperson here with you. This show is editorially produced by uh, Sarah Hoyles from her home studio this morning. And our associate producer, Emily Baczynski, is running the controls. She's in mission control this morning as Samuel G. Brooks and his lovely bride, Kelly, prepare for their weekend wedding. And we wish them well. This is obviously a, a hearts full kind of a week here on Real Talk for a number of different reasons. We will get into that in just a little bit. Coming up in about 10 minutes on the show today, I'm looking forward to this roundtable conversation. It's not a Friday, so I suppose this is not an officially sanctioned Real Talk Roundtable. You know that's our Friday tradition, live around 9 o'clock Mountain, 11 o'clock Eastern. But we've put a panel together to discuss the big day it is for Aaron O'Toole. Today, his members of parliament, conservative members of parliament, will vote by secret ballot. This is per the party's Reform Act, which says that if a a certain number, 20% of conservative MPs, call for a leadership vote, well, it triggers, and it'll be happening today to determine whether or not Aaron O'Toole leads Canada's conservatives forward or whether or not there's a leadership race. A number of different outcomes. Former conservative MP Joan Crockett will join Melissa Cowett, uh, conservative political strategist and uh, public policy expert, and Max Fawcett, a columnist for the National Observer. That's coming up in about 10, and we're going to be talking about long COVID today, too. And I suspect we're probably going to be hearing from some of you live during the show as well as after. If you're listening to this on the podcast or watching this on YouTube, we want to hear from you. We know that one in 10 people that contract COVID-19 will live with long COVID. So what does that mean? How do you wrap your mind around it? What does workplace policy need to look like? How about the health impacts? We'll go there coming up in about half an hour maybe 40 minutes from now. You know, this show is presented, of course, by the team at Bitcoin Well. I told you how stoked we were to have them out at the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic this weekend. It's always neat seeing people talk to Adam O'Brien, the CEO of Bitcoin Well, because he's, he's very, very enthusiastic about what he does. He's been on the show many times. You know that. There were people skating up to him being like, you're the Bitcoin Well guy. Yeah, I see them having conversations around the fire. Minus the bonfire parts and the beer garden and everything else. That's kind of just how I roll when it comes to Bitcoin. Well, I just walk in. I have questions. Benny is their frontline guy. Walk in. He's always got a big smile on his face. I go, Benny, I got another dumb question for you. He chuckles and then he helps me sort it all out. They can help you out online as well. You just find their website under the sponsors tab on ours at RyanJesperson.com. Real talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. As mentioned, conservative MPs will be voting today by secret ballot on the future of their leader, Aaron O'Toole. And we're going to be talking to a, a panel about this coming up in, in just a little bit. This is either something that people have seen coming for a long time or, or maybe a bit of a surprise, depending on your perspective of, of how well Aaron O'Toole's been doing. Let's be honest. My assessment of Aaron O'Toole's tenure as leader of the conservatives, he's, he's been trying to find the middle ground. He worked hard to to, you know, become leader of this party, obviously, uh, with some challengers there. And, and everybody knows that winning a party leadership is much different than winning an election. Right? You win a party's leadership. You've got to get the grassroots. You've got to get the members. You've got to get the hardcores. You've got to get people that show up at the conventions and that contribute to their constituency associations and show up at the AGMs. These are the hyper-involved. These are the people that make a party tick. These are the people that donate funds and donate their time and knock on the doors. And so you got to meet them where they're at. 
And so the platform that a potential leader might take during a leadership campaign will look a lot different than how that leader will take a party into a general election. And from my perspective, it looks like Aaron O'Toole's losing support on the right wing of the party. We're starting to see some of his MPs speak out, including some MPs from our neck of the woods, uh, Garnet Janus, uh, out of uh, the St. Albert Edmonton area, Sturgeon County, Sherwood Park. We're taking a look at these areas in and around Edmonton, Michael Cooper, St. Albert as well yesterday. Michael Cooper going on the record saying, I think it's time that the leader do some real hard thinking. There's that threat coming from that so-called right side of the party, the right flank. And then and then the more progressive conservatives as well, I think, have, have been taking a look at Aaron O'Toole, for example, meeting with the some representatives from this Freedom Convoy, the Truckers Convoy, going, this is not my conservative party. The bigger question is not only will Aaron O'Toole survive this leadership vote, but will the Conservative Party of Canada remain intact or does it potentially go back to a two conservative party in Canada type reality? I'm especially curious to pick Joan Crockett's brain on this. She's coming up in just a second. Sarah Hoyle's keeping an eye on news as it continues to develop. And of course, there's this this evolving and Sarah, I guess you say almost ever changing scenario down on the Canada-U.S. border near Coots. This is south of Lethbridge. Uh, RCMP moved in yesterday at first, I think, trying to convince some truckers to move they had some success and then all of a sudden we see some some tractors like legit like ag tractors other pickups and some semis as well breaching an rcmp barrier and creating a whole new blockade so what do we know right now as of the time we're speaking right now i mean they they've said that uh the police said they were going to take action then they they stood down uh and the premier went on the record yesterday saying that he does not condone this uh, this action. He wants to see this ended, but that's far from it is what it looks like. Some protesters even went to the mayor of Coots, his house. So yeah, I love when you say this, like back in the day, we'd say, and they went to the mayor and you'd assume that means like they got in touch with the mayor's team and the chief of staff and they scheduled a meeting and they showed up to city hall and they had, were there from two to two forty-five PM people showing up at the mayor's house in Coots. Uh, I saw him on the record yesterday as well saying this has been a real my words, not his a real pain in the ass for the people that are living here. He says this is time to move on the, uh, this convoy or not the convoy, the blockade. I guess it's separate, but the same, depending on your perspective is, is I would imagine starting to rub a lot of people the wrong way, including a lot of the truckers that are stuck there. Absolutely. That's precisely. Oh, and Ranger has some thoughts, too. Yeah. Ranger uh, is not happy about the blockade. <laughs> He wants them to get off his lawn, too. Yeah, people uh, People were writing into the show, by the way, saying how much they're enjoying getting to know your dogs behind the scenes when we have these conversations. So this is a good thing. I got a note from somebody that's, that pointed out, and, and I don't know if this is verified or not. I don't know if this is true or not, but they said, you guys got to keep an eye on the temperatures. They said it's, it's minus 20. It's minus 25 right now. It's almost minus 30 with wind chill right now where we are. Uh, they said that there's li- there's trailers hauling livestock stuck at the border right now. They're like, there are animals that are stuck in these trailers right now. That's something that people need to be considered. Hoyles, I probably shouldn't have said that to you because, you know, I mean, these animals can do all right keeping alive in the cold. But I just wanted to paint a clear picture of what's at stake here, um, let alone supply chain stuff, let alone, you know, the free movement between the Canada U.S. border. These folks are all about freedom. They're really tying it up. Uh, if anything, this is reiterated, I think, to Canadians how easy it is, quite frankly, to bring everything to a halt, to grind everything to a halt. And you have to assume now that the Canadian Meat Council and others are 
stepping up and saying this is a real problem for us. We're going to have to halt production because we can't move our goods across the border. That's really going to get the premier's attention. There's really not been meaningful follow up publicly, Sarah, has there between the premier and a couple of his MLAs? Obviously, they're supporting this blockade, Grant Hunter in particular. A lot of people are saying, well, what's going on here? Is Jason Kenney losing control of his party? I wonder if that's almost a microcosm, too, right, of what's happening with Aaron O'Toole at the federal level. You wonder if the same thing's happening with Jason Kenney provincially. Well, that's what it feels like. It feels like they're kind of like grasping at straws now that they've that they have emboldened these folks and said that, you know, people are allowed to protest, which they are. But obviously, uh, but um, they've been emboldened and they've been allowed to (laughs) carry on for quite some time. And now they're going to try to put them down. Now they're going to try to quiet them. And well, you have to you have to hit a breaking point at some point. And I guess you go uh, the, the right to peaceful protest is integral. And I think everybody mm. would support that. At least I sure will support that. I'll bang that drum all day long. But the point has been made. The protest has happened. It's an illegal blockade and it's impeding movement uh, between the most important border, uh, quite frankly, to any Canadian, all things considered. So it's time to enforce the law. And I think that more and more people are going to start feeling this way the more time goes on. We'll keep an eye on the story, Sarah. We'll check back in with you in just a bit. Uh, We'll ask our panel what they think that Jason Kenney should do. But the main focus is what's going on with Aaron O'Toole right now. First, before we go there, let me tell you about what our friends at Friesen Brothers have going on right now. And they wanted to give, you know, a special shout out to three of their stores in particular. Because they've got some great deals going on. So, so we're talking about Rabbit Hill out of Edmonton. You know that, the South Edmonton store. Absolutely unbelievable. So Stony Plain and Fort Saskatchewan, these blazing savings deals. Check this out at Friesen.com. Limited deals for just February 2nd and 3rd. That's it. Just February 2nd and 3rd. That's today and tomorrow at Friesen.com. You can go onto their website and find the link to the really blazing savings items Uh, Really well worth your time. I mean, I'm just taking a look right now at the Alberta beef strip loin grilling steaks that they have. Why am I staring at stuff like this when I can't get my hands onto an Alberta beef strip loin grilling steak while we talk? 16 Alberta communities, but these these three stores in particular for two days only, limited time deals. It's the blazing savings at Friesen Brothers. A shout out to our friends at Dram in a Can. This is the Two Stacks Irish Whiskey. We were thrilled that they were out in support of our Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic this weekend. Every contestant that showed up, every player got uh, their sweater. You know, they got their jersey. They got a roll of pride tape and they got a can of Two Stacks Irish Whiskey. It's a perfect Dram in a Can. When you're on the go outside, I love these for hiking or fishing. Whatever your deal is, it's 100 mils of beautifully blended Irish whiskey. You can find it at Sherbrooke Liquor. They've got two stores open now in our hometown of Edmonton. And by the way, I heard from the team at Sherbrooke. They wanted me to let you know they've got just a few bottles left of our Real Talk, our Woody Creek Cask Select Bourbon. Just a few bottles left, which means we've sold over 200 of them. It's awesome. Just one cask, 210 bottles total. Once they're gone, they're gone. You can find the Real Talk Cask Select Woody Creek Bourbon at Sherbrooke Liquor right here in Edmonton, Alberta. Well, I ran an unofficial, unscientific Twitter poll. I'm not presenting this as official data whatsoever. But yesterday, I asked you on my Twitter account, and there's still two hours left if you'd like to chime in at Ryan Jesperson, conservative leader Aaron O'Toole is fighting to keep his job this week. 
As his MPs will vote by a secret ballot Wednesday, that's today. The leadership challenge triggered by a minimum 20% of caucus calling for it via the Reform Act. Then I told you we're going to be talking about it on today's show. We're about to get there. I asked you, and I asked just Canadian conservatives to chime in. Was it all conservatives? Who knows? I doubt it, but here's the deal. I give you the options. Keep them, boot them, or you're just here to see the results. I didn't want you polluting the survey if you just wanted to see the results. You got to vote to see them. Interestingly enough, with almost 1,900 votes, 55% said, yeah, we're just here to see the results. 296 we'll call it 30%, say boot them. Time for a new leader. 15% say keep them. We got to keep them around. Melissa Cowett is a Western Canadian public policy expert. She's a government relations professional. She's a principal at MC Consulting. She's volunteered and worked in conservative politics in Western Canada for several years. Joan Crockett has experience on the Hill. She was the former member of parliament for Calgary Centre. She's a government and public affairs advisor. During her time in Ottawa, she was a member of the House of Commons Natural Resources Committee and the Ethics and Status of Women. Max Fawcett is a columnist with National Observer. He's the former editor of Alberta Oil and Vancouver magazines. And you've seen his work in the Globe and Mail, McLean's, The Walrus, CBC, and of course, right here on Real Talk. It's a pleasure to welcome the three of you uh, to the show. Joan, obviously, you know exactly how this stuff goes. You've been a member of caucus. You've obviously proudly represented the people in Calgary Center before, which on a side note is an interesting riding. It's flip flopped conservative and liberal over the past three elections. What do you make of what's going on today? And, and are you in favor of Aaron O'Toole sticking around or do you think it's time for a change? I think we've got you on mute, Joan. So I just want to make sure that we get your mic unmuted. We want to hear what you have to say. Absolutely. Here you go. Okay, let's rock. Um, it's interesting that you would talk about flip-flops because I think that's, uh, you know, sort of kind of the word of the day and not the kind we wish we were all wearing on some beach somewhere right now. Yeah. I think, you know, people are going to say this is about this policy or that policy that they're unhappy with Aaron O'Toole. And this hurts me to say that because Aaron and I were elected on the same day, November 26th, 2012, and we were seat buddies, and I, I call Aaron a friend. But I think what happened here is that conservatives fundamentally believe in you do what you say and you say what you do. And that really has been a very great difficulty for Aaron O'Toole because he campaigned for leadership on one thing, and then once he got into an election period and then got into leadership, he uh, you know, did a U-turn without checking his rearview mirror. And he lost many of the allies that he has had who wanted to stay with him and wanted a co coherent, but essentially they were given no warning. They were blindsided by a lot of this. So he has been noted for uh, a lack of authenticity. And what I'm hearing from people is that it's a toxic culture right now and things really have got to change. So I would love to be in that caucus room this morning, right now. It'll be a fairly quick process, I'm imagining, and uh, we'll have a result fairly soon. Aaron will either be able to hold it together and he'll emerge as, as the leader with, I think, some humility, or uh, we will have a new interim leader. And that's within the next two hours. So if 50% of caucus votes him out, that'd be 60 members of parliament that would send him packing. I suppose it, it triggers a leadership race in some way, shape or form, and we'd learn the details on, on how that might play out. Joan, do you have a, are you, are you willing to look into your crystal ball and forecast how this is going to go? Is he going to survive this? Well, 
the phone lines were burning up. Everybody's were last night. And some people say there's as many as 62 members of the 119 caucus who can vote that are going to vote for uh, a leadership review, an early leadership review, or uh, vote for a new leader, really essentially is what we're dealing with right now. But others have said, well, even if it's uh, 35% against, there's a convention in politics that a leader actually needs about 70% support in order to continue. And we have some, you know, precedents, Joe Clark got 67%, he resigned in Alberta here, Ralph Klein got 60% and he resigned. So many people believe that the moral authority says that if Aaron O'Toole does not get 70%, that essentially his days as the leader are over. And that is a very high bar. Yeah, Joan, and I think you're bang on. I mean, the optics of barely surviving this are not good. And it's not- victory is the term was used last night. You know, you go into battle, you, you win the battle, but there's so much blood on the sidewalk, you really can't survive. That's a great point. Melissa, you put this out yesterday uh, by way of your Twitter, and I thought it was good. You said the Conservative Party of Canada doesn't have two movements within one party. It has three you said there's the former reformers, the social and fiscal conservatives. There's the former PCers, the progressive conservatives. And then there's the populists, you say, which is an often incoherent combo of both determined based on political expediency. Take us into what you're seeing here. Sure. So listeners are well aware of the fact that the CPC is a big tent coalition brought together um, in the early 2000s with a lot of different views, the two predominant being former reformers and former PCers. I think the challenge of what's happened with the conservative movement all over Canada, but certainly as we're seeing federally, is that we don't have a coherent, compelling vision of what we stand for anymore because we've had trouble staying on message all together as a team. You know, the, the the value of grassroots participation in conservative politics is a huge reason why I support the movement. Um, but when you have too many different people saying too many different things and you're not in government to be able to demonstrate what ideology is going to prevail, it's very difficult to earn the trust of the public. Um, one of the things about the liberal brand that is so beneficial to Justin Trudeau and his party is that people recognize and know that brand. They know what they're going to get. They may not agree with absolutely um, everything that happens, but they have a very solid idea of what they're going to get. And I think that as conservatives, we lack that a little bit because we have, you know, the vast majority of the of the people who are um elected conservatives and support the conservative movement like myself don't hold extremist views. And I think that's that's something that the public really um, doesn't see all the time. I'm not saying that those views don't exist. They certainly do. We've seen them in black and white that they do, but that just creates a trust problem. And so I think that that feeds into this sort of populist sentiment. We're, we're trying to figure out how to form government and how to be successful. And in doing so, I think we've um, said yes to a lot of different things and we don't have a coherent vision, which I, I see as, as sort of a populist um, wave. And I think we need to move away from that if we want to earn trust of voters back again. I mean, I can't even imagine what it's like to try to keep a conservative party together. I mean, Stephen Harper managed to do it. Right. And uh, he kind of said, I was listening to Peter Mansbridge's podcast and Chantelle Bear, Bruce Arthur or, or uh, Bruce on there. And they're, they're talking about that scene from Get Shorty. Or the guy shows up, the heavy shows up, the muscle shows up and they say, who are you? And he goes, I'm the guy that tells you how it is. And they said that's that that was Stephen Harper's style of leadership. But it worked to keep the factions of the party together. Sam, uh, Max, can can the 
What's that, Joan? Not so much. That was the view the media had. You know, I spent 25 years in the media. I love the media. I understand what we have to work with. And you work with what people, you know, what they come out of caucus saying. And you think, oh, Stephen Harper shut them all up. It wasn't the case. You know, we can't talk about what goes on in caucus specifically, but I can tell you that it was the most open discussion that I have ever seen in politics. And it was no holds barred. And everybody sat, got up at the mics and talked till they were done talking. And Stephen Harper stayed there till the very end. And then after you could go up and speak to him directly for as long as that line was there until uh, Parliament was sitting again. Now, you know, he was a very open leader. And if things did not fly in caucus, they did not proceed Period. Okay, Max, I promise I'm going to get to you in a second. But, Joan, let me ask you. And by the way, your career in media, a lot of people wouldn't know. Uh, you and I, my very first job in media ever was with you. Now, you know, I you, loved you, Ryan. You've done a great job. And by the way, congratulations on this podcast. You're well, thank you. I love it to be a little more conservative, but yeah. we'll work on that. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, that's fine. We, we want to have all kinds of conversations here. But, Joan, uh-huh. I'm getting a real kick of having you on here again. You've been supportive of my career from the very beginning. Um, I, I, I Let that's me ask you know what out of us right now. So I'm anxious to hear from you. <laughs> yeah, well, and I want to get to Max, too. And what I'll do is I'll do that right now, Joan, and then I'll circle back with you on the Harper thing. Uh, but Max, what do you make of, of both Joan and Melissa's assessment of what got Aaron O'Toole to this point, to this vote today? I, I mean, I think, I mean, Melissa made a very good point that there is no coherent vision in the Conservative Party right now. Um, I mean, I think part of the problem the party faces is the very way that they elect their leaders hamstrings them once they become the leader. They have to appeal to this marginal pro-life, you know, anti-abortion, anti-climate change, anti a bunch of things uh, base. And then they have to pivot back to the middle, which is where most Canadians are. And that is seems like it dooms them from the outset. It certainly has doomed Aaron O'Toole here. You know, I think what is striking is that we saw these protests in Ottawa, which have been just disastrous for the conservative brand and anyone who chose to go near them. Uh, I don't quite understand how they didn't see it coming, but they didn't. Um, And yet it seems like the thing that is motivating this move against Aaron O'Toole is the vote on conversion therapy, which is so mainstream, the, the view that conversion therapy is wrong and it should be banned. And yet there are people in the conservative caucus who apparently call themselves the Conversion Caucus, uh, who believe that this is a reason for Aaron O'Toole to be removed as leader. They, you know, these are not rearguard battles they're fighting. These are 20 years ago battles. Uh, thing, you know, again, still fighting climate change, still fighting the carbon tax, still fighting uh, LGBTQ rights. Canadians have moved on. They're so far beyond this. And yet this, this is the reason that, that the Conservatives are, are bringing down their leader right now. It, it just boggles the mind. So. I, I don't think Aaron O'Toole acquitted himself very well from the beginning. I think uh, Joan was right. You know, he he campaigned as one thing for the leadership, and then he campaigned to Canadians as as a different thing. But I don't quite see how you cannot do that under the current Conservative Party of Canada's structure. Yeah, and 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 I think you're right. On Max, yesterday, uh, an audience member wrote in to say that you know Aaron O'Toole's trying to ride two horses with the same ass. Right. He's, he's trying to sort of keep two factions of the party satisfied. And, and Melissa, as far as I'm concerned, that's the type of thing that you've got to do 
to, to win a federal election, to form government. And, and I'm not so sure. I mean, a lot of people are, are sort of treating, treating Pierre Polyev like he's the heir apparent here. I've seen some people that believe that Andrew Scheer is going to try to make a comeback and lead this party again. Who knows what might happen? But I don't know that you can win. a fe- No, as a matter of fact, I do know that you cannot win a federal election running a socially and fiscally conservative platform solely for those blue tried, tested and true conservatives. Melissa, what would you think? What would you say? You can't. And it's just not where most Canadians are at. And I'm, I'm not making a judgment of that. I fully support that some people not may not be OK with that. Some people are happy about that. But that is just the reality. If you cannot win urban centers, you cannot form a government in in Canada. Um, when it comes to trying to balance those two sides, I mean, Harper was able to do it very well. It can be done, albeit that was a very different time. We have a very different um, social and political environment right now. We have, I, I don't like to say that American politics is at fault for Canadian politics, but we have um, things happening south of the border that people look to that definitely trickle into our politics. I think that the, you know, and, and far be it from me to suggest to um, people who would be leading the Conservative Party, but as a, as a member and as a voter, I'm perfectly okay with having a party that has different views within it. I don't think that we need everybody to think a certain way, but something has to be done to make sure that first the party members know that while we are okay with having people who think differently about issues, that is not the agenda and that is not the message. And if you can live with being in the party and accepting that, then come on in. If you can't, then maybe this is not the right vessel for what you're trying to do. A lot of what the more extreme views that we see happening um, and associated with the Conservative Party um, are probably better suited for um, activist movements, not mainstream political parties in Canada. And if I could, I just want to speak to Max's point about the conversion therapy stuff. There, I am not going to deny that there are those perspectives like that. That is clear. We do have people within the conservative movement who were probably not happy about that. I believe it's a bit of a stretch to suggest that this is happening right now solely because of that. I think that that is some um, 11th hour spin coming from the leader's office. And I'm not judging that at all. But I think that there is really a narrative that O'Toole is trying to drive right now that we have to move the way that he is suggesting. Otherwise, we won't be able to move on. And I think that was a poor choice um, from, from the people around him to, to sort of suggest that and put that out in the public. It hurts the brand. It might help him, but it hurts the brand. And that can't be where our leader um, is taking the messaging. And let me say, like to echo Joan's sentiments about Aaron O'Toole as a man, as a yeah. person, um, I've interviewed him many times and he's always come across to me as sincere and amiable and all these types of things. You, you take a look at the leadership. It's not an easy task. On one hand, when, when he came out and said a while ago, well before the last federal election, said the conservatives are going to have a legitimate and serious climate policy. And here's what it's going to look like. And I went, boy, Right. But then you look at who were throwing the biggest punches at him. It was it was the right wing of his own party. I saw it happening. I'm going, man, oh, man, this is not an easy job. And then people are saying, well, he can't go meet with the truckers. But you imagine what are prairie conservatives going to say if he doesn't 
Like it's almost a lose lose for Aaron O'Toole. An interesting point from Corey Hogan, uh, co-host of the Strategist podcast, a member of the Real Talk's editorial board, the other day says on the 31st of January, the conservatives desperately need to figure out how to be something more than a loose coalition of people that hate Justin Trudeau marginally more than they hate each other, which I thought was kind of a tongue in cheek way of assessing all this. Joan. You talk about Stephen Harper. I appreciate your insights behind the scenes of what caucus meetings were like and about him hearing other perspectives. So how would Aaron O'Toole's leadership in your assessment differ from former Prime Minister Harper's? And do you think that Mr. O'Toole could save this by adjusting his leadership style? Yes, I do think he could save it by adjusting his leadership style. This is a classic Sun Tzu problem that of the five rules to win. One of the most important ones is get your allies on side. So when I talked about him making a U-turn without checking his rearview mirror, that was his own party that hit him, his own MPs, that because they weren't consulted. So the main thing is you can make U-turns in politics. People do it all the time. But you have to be able to keep the people who are with you on side say, hey, we believe this, and now we believe that we've got to take a change in direction and this is how we do it. So you have to get there in sort of a more gradual way. And people just feel they weren't consulted. So as opposed to uh, conservatives being a bunch of troglodytes who don't want, don't believe in climate change, they do want a coherent climate policy. But if you said when you got the leadership that you were against a carbon tax, and now today you want to come up with your own version of a carbon tax, you better take us from A to B so that we can have trust in your leadership. So that that bond of trust between us and them has not been broken. That's the issue. This is all about leadership. And as much as Michelle Rempel Gardner, Gardner, whom I love, has said that, hey, this is not the right time for a leadership. You know what? Going into an election is all about leadership. Performing well in the House is all about leadership. And if your leader does not have the trust of caucus, if he's plummeted in the polls from 38% before the election to in the 24% range, according to Angus Reid, then you have a serious issue that must be addressed. And I think that Aaron could address it, but that's why I said if he comes out um, and has emerged holding on to his leadership, He will have had to eat a lot of humble pie. I want to leave a couple of minutes to ask each of you about this Coots border crossing blockade and and to get your comments on that. But Max, in closing uh, for now, in the context of this leadership review, essentially, let's call it that the secret ballot today, I take a look. And to be fair, across the board, when you look at the three main political parties in Canada, maybe with the exception of of Christia Freeland with the Liberals, I do not see a rising star to challenge the leadership really on any three parties. Pierre Polyev may be that guy for the Conservatives. But but, well, what, Joan? They're coming out your yin yang. You didn't see it in the last two leadership elections. And by the way, the the Liberals took two leadership elections with Stefan Dion and Ignatiev before they got one. But do you do you? Oh, there's listen to women. They're amazing. You know, when you see Michelle Rempel, Gardner, Lisa Raitt, Candace Bergen, Leslie Lewis, Ronna Ambrose, Shannon Stubbs. Well, yeah, Ron Ambrose. Ron Ambrose is would be prime minister tomorrow. I've gone on the record and said Ron Ambrose would be prime minister anytime she wants to be. I'm I'm not sure that I think that Leslie Lew- Dr. Lewis is ready to win an election and I'm not sure I'd say the same but I mean people don't want to follow a strong leader like Stephen Harper so I understand why we had two elections where the 18 didn't come this election you're going to see the 18 coming and, and the men in the categories too I mean Peter McKay Michael Chong Pierre Paglia Brad Wall we're just getting started but this the party is- the party the party it, didn't it, want it goes, hang on the party goes. the party didn't want Peter McKay and the party ate Michael Chong alive Michael Chong might have been the brightest 
leadership candidate that this party's had in the last 10 years. But Max, I want to give you the mic here first. What do you what do you make of my assessment? Joan pushes back. I love it. But is there a rising star in the conservative party that could do a better job if a federal election were to be called? No, absolutely not. It's it's a it's a dark breakfast of, of leadership candidates. And, you know, look, I think the conservative party of Canada has an existential choice here. Do they want to be the, the party of Jim Flaherty and Jim Prentice, or do they want to be the party of Ezra Levant? And it feels very much to me like they're the party of Ezra Levant right now. And this leadership race, they kind of have to decide, are they going to keep playing towards that anti-vaccine, anti-government, anti-climate change fringe? Or are they going to come back to the middle? And like you said, if Ron Ambrose ran and ran in the middle, uh, Justin Trudeau would be in very deep trouble. I would vote but for I Ron Ambrose. No- I'll say it right now publicly. But I see no way that she could get through the current leadership process or anyone like her. And that's the problem. Uh, I want to give all three of you a chance to chime in on this before we thank you for your time. We value your time and your perspectives. Max, this this Coots border crossing blockade just seems to get nastier and nastier. I'm not trying to manifest it. Uh, the RCMP rolled in yesterday. Hopefully, you know, everybody wants to see a peaceful outcome here. Everybody wants to see uh, cross-border movement happen again freely. There's obviously a lot of truckers there that have nothing to do with the blockade. They're just stuck. They want to work. Uh, Alberta's premier has issued a statement condemning this. He's had a couple of rogue MLAs down there supporting the blockade. If you're Jason Kenney, Max, how do you manage this? What do you do? Ryan, can I swear? You can say whatever you want, buddy. I mean, this is a classic case of fucking around and finding out. You know, I mean, he egged these people on. He amped them up. He, he talked about the blockade of the convoy to Ottawa. And people in Alberta heard him and went to their nearest border and, and set up their own blockade. I mean, I think the first thing he can do is come back to Alberta uh, and be on on the ground for this. Uh, but he has to stop sending out two messages to the public, one to the, you know, one to us and, and one to the sort of rural voters he needs for his leadership vote in a few weeks. So he needs to he needs to get serious on this. He needs to get tough. Uh, the police need to do their jobs. Um, you know, this is ridiculous. If this was a group of environmental protesters, you know that they would be taking it more seriously and you know that Jason Kenney would be taking it more seriously. Um, but this is the consequence of weak leadership. And and now the rest of us have to pay the price. Melissa, is that a fair assessment? Not entirely. Um, I I also do not agree with the the border crossing. But I mean, everybody from the premier um, to the transportation minister to Minister Schweitzer have all condemned the blockades happening at the border crossing. Um, look, I think that the, the struggle that politicians, um, particularly conservative politicians, get into the ones that are you know showing up at the rallies and um, trying to show their support is this sort of like fascination with what I think of as like performative folksiness. Like you don't need to be in the same spot and be going through the same things as someone to have empathy for how they're feeling, to relate to the struggles that they're going through. And I think that this is the struggle that that we have in conservative politics. Clearly, the people who are legitimately protesting, the people currently at the Coots border crossing, I would say are not at this point. But from the protests that we've seen over the past week, it is possible to understand that people are upset about certain things without having to sort of endorse the tactics that people are using. Obviously, I want to preface that by saying any sort of hate, any sort of anti-government, anti-Semitism, any of that, there, there is no, I have no time for any of that. Um, but if people are concerned about cost of living, people are concerned about affordability, people are concerned that they don't have their voice heard. I think that there are a thousand other ways to engage those people and show that you're listening to them 
before showing up um, at a protest. And I think that political parties have to exercise some of those options before constantly jumping to the most extreme. I think that's well said, Melissa. I had the conversation yesterday with a friend and I said, you know, you can you can assess the convoy or the blockade however you like. Uh, and, and people are having you know big conversations about that and the makeup and who it is and who they represent or who they don't. What you cannot ignore is the fact that thousands and thousands of Canadians lined off ramps, on ramps and the sides of highways to support that convoy. And that indicates something bigger. That's not just a group of 100 people that got trucks together. There's a bigger thing happening here. So, Joan, we'll give you last word on this. What does Alberta's premier do here and, and how do you see this Coots border scenario playing out? I, well, I love what both of you had to say on this. And I think really that border crossing issue, you have to think about this in terms of what democracy is. Democracy is really messy. But I, I absolutely love people that will show up. This is their country and they have a right to have a say in it. And so every one of these truckers is standing for something that they personally believe in and they want their vote heard. Now that said, it's not Jason Kenney's issue. This is a federal issue. Border crossings are international borders. So this is Justin Trudeau. And do you, what do you see at Roxham Road? Do you see him enforcing you know, our rules for immigration and border crossing at a lot of other places. So there are a lot of double standards that are going on here. I know this is visible and my freedom ends where my fist hits your nose. We do at some point have to end it. People need to be able to have goods that move back and forth. So at the point and to your point about Ezra Levant, Max, go back and look at what Ezra said on the weekend at the rally in Ottawa, because I thought Ezra was actually bang on in this instance. And I don't agree with Ezra on many, many things. But he said, hey, guys, you've made your point, right? You came. The rally was the point. And that the best way to counter the fact that your message is not getting out in the media is to be the media, which we all can all do now because we have venues like Ryan's show and like Twitter and Facebook. I mean, if they don't censor us. But this is what it was about. So have you made your point? Yes, I think they've made your point. I love them for standing up for democracy and freedoms. But at the point where your fist hits my nose, go home. Max, let me give you a quick second to respond to that. Joan, put something in front of you. No, look, it's fine. I mean, I, I think Ezra is Ezra. Uh, I wouldn't defend anything he has to say, given what he said in the past. But uh, it is time to go home. Uh, and I, I think that... You know, the, the, the concept of us being the media, I think the media has done a pretty good job on this. They were they were treated awfully by this convoy of protesters. They bent over backwards to tell their story and, and the notion that they're the problem, that they're the virus, as some people have said. I, I mean, I think it speaks for itself. I never foresaw or forecasted that the four of us would all agree that Ezra Levant was right on something but it is time to go home my sincere thanks to joan crockett max fawcett and melissa cowett be sure to give them all a follow on twitter thanks to the three of you have a great rest of your week thank you yeah you bet uh on our live chat i was i was engaged in this so i haven't seen a lot on the live chat but i uh you know this is an interesting one from craig who says perhaps the conservatives big tent party got too big he says it's like a no-holds-barred cage match in there right now. And, and it seems to me like the Conservative Party of Canada can't get out of its own way. That from Craig. Roxanne says liberals haven't splintered into like six different parties like the conservatives in Alberta have. An interesting point. You've got the, you've got the Wild Rose Independence Party. And then you've got the obviously the United Conservative Party. Those are kind of the two major players right now. Uh, with apologies if I'm forgetting about anybody. Federally, you've got, of course, the Conservative Party of Canada, the People's Party of Canada, 
which is probably drawing some support through this convoy. And then, of course, you've got the Maverick Party led by former Harper insider Jay Hill, a former minister. That's essentially the, the, the separatist party, the Western separatist party. It's a federal party, the Maverick Party. Sandra wonders, how could anybody in Canada today who's a caring, compassionate person agree with the right wing faction of the conservative party right now? That's the challenge that Aaron O'Toole has, right? That's why the party supported a ban on conversion therapy. That's why Aaron O'Toole got out ahead of the federal election months ahead and said, here's what our conservative climate policy is going to look like. A lot of you are wondering about what a potential leadership change might look like. I mean, Tracy says, I appreciate that question, Ryan, the the idea of no bright stars. I'm not saying that there's not bright people, MPs in every party. I'm just saying, you know, someone I saw in the live chat, this is Ryan, who says Michelle Rempel could potentially become conservative leader, but never prime minister. I think Michelle Rempel with a strong campaign definitely could become conservative leader. Um, Quite frankly, I don't know if this is a weird comment. I'd love to see a woman lead the conservative party of Canada. Uh, I don't know whether or not Michelle Rempel, I mean, you, you have to say if, if Aaron O'Toole did not or could not win a federal election last time around with a somewhat hamstrung Justin Trudeau, and that's two elections in a row, right? Blackface before that, people are going, you know, Peter McKay himself said that Andrew Scheer missed scoring on an empty net. A hamstrung Justin Trudeau in back-to-back federal elections, the conservatives didn't win. Not a poor showing, decent amount of votes, almost virtually swept the prairies, not quite, but almost, but didn't win. What is it that Michelle Rempel-Garner or Pierre Polyev or Andrew Scheer again or someone else may have, may bring to the table that Aaron O'Toole does not? That's the question, essentially, I guess, that we're asking. Then again, all of this could be a big, huge waste of time because today, 110 conservative MPs could say Aaron O'Toole's our guy and we're sticking with him. I'm not calling that vote result, but we'll see what happens. You can send us an email anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Let me know what you think about what you just heard. Debbie says, I may not agree with their viewpoints, but I still think it's important to hear other views just to know where people are coming from. Debbie, love it. It's the whole point of this show. Joe says the Maverick Party is about to have $10 million from GoFundMe. (laughs) Joe's not wrong. Well, I mean, who knows? Joe's speculating, but I think Joe's on to something. People are going, what, what's going to happen with this? It's now eight plus million. I think it's almost nine million if it's not over nine million dollars. This GoFundMe for this truck convoy. And it was raised. It was coordinated by this. Is, is it Tamara Lich, L-I-C-H? She's associated with the Maverick Party. She's the one that kickstarted this thing. I don't know if they thought that they were going to raise almost ten million dollars. People are going, where's that money going to go right now? Who's, who's going to tap into that money? Is that going to the Maverick Party? Is it going to be dispersed among the the convoy? If so, how? It's going to get messy. There's been some conversation, even prompted by Ottawa's mayor, Jim Watson, saying, I wonder if GoFundMe, from the percentage that it takes, I mean, this is not going to happen, but the percentage that GoFundMe takes from the fundraising, maybe they should be kicking that back to the city of Ottawa that's currently paying more than $800,000 a day for policing. In additional policing costs, Hoyles, this is a pretty interesting conversation to have. You want to chime in quick on what you just heard from our three panelists? I thought it was it was it was a good, robust conversation. Joan made some interesting points. Having she's a Harper insider, she was an MP when he was there. You know, I mean, I, I thought her assessment of Harper's leadership was kind of interesting. We don't hear that a lot. Uh, yeah, I was fascinated by it. I think the fuck around and find out 
I'm right there. Like Max, I think hit the nail on the head as far as Coots is, is concerned. Um, I mean, I think it's also what's happened in, in Ottawa. You know, we keep towing, like just inching towards the edge, aligning ourselves and ourselves being uh, conservative politicians. <laughs> uh, Man, this cat, man. It's okay. Um, we're, we're, we're a uh, we're a wildlife friendly show, Sarah. And so cats walking through the shot are, are more than welcome. So I just I I can't I just I, I we didn't need to be here, but we are here. And I now I want some I want Jason Kenny to actually follow through on the Critical Infrastructure Act and use it because that's what it's there for yeah and joan's saying listen this is a this is a federal issue not a provincial issue which i think lets the premier off the hook a little bit but but she's saying you know this is justin trudeau's problem uh, i mean imagine the optics of trudeau stepping up and you know making decisions on busting up a border blockade in alberta you think that his party wants him having anything to do with something like that the question is whose lap does this land in and it's a story that we'll continue to follow. Before we get on to our conversation about long COVID, let me tell you about this Growing the North conference that's getting set to know, uh, set to go. I mean, it's the city of Grand Prairie, and this is really an amazing opportunity to talk about economic development and partnerships and, and really, I mean, the future of opportunity in the northern and central parts of Alberta. It's a virtual conference. You can check it out online right now at growingthenorth.com. Explore, innovate, Grow. It's the 13th annual Growing the North Conference. This is where municipal leaders, entrepreneurs can explore economic development opportunities and innovation, in particular in Northwest Alberta. You can expect six keynote presentations over three half days of learning, sharing, and connecting with industry leaders at Northern Alberta's premier economic development conference. You can check out the speakers, learn a little bit more about the history of Growing the North, and check out the event schedule, plus register right now at growingthenorth.com. Tickets are still available. You can expect conversations on economy in the future, resiliency in agriculture, and tourism, innovation, and leadership. Again, at growingthenorth.com. I heard from our friends at Grand Dog Essentials just the other day. They said, we've got something new going on. We're really excited to tell Real Talkers about it. It's a new product in their shop. You go to shop now at granddog.ca and you can check this out. It's called the Mine Pet Platter and it's what they use to feed their dogs. They say they love it. You know, this is a family-owned business. Uh, this Mine Pet Platter, if you have a dog that just wolfs down its food and then gets the gut issues that come along with that, sometimes even, sorry for everyone having breakfast right now, but your, your beloved pup eats and then just heads right outside and pukes it all up because they ate too fast. Well, this Mind Pet platter helps with digestion by slowing down the eating experience. There's 360-degree movement and viewing gives pups more control over mealtime and encourages exploration of their food. You can check out all of the offerings from the team at Grand Dog Essentials at granddog.ca. They'll deliver to your door on a weekly basis. Calgary, Edmonton, and Central Alberta, 10% off your first-time order if you use the promo code REALTALK. And you know, there's so much going online these days. Why not take your post-secondary experience there too with Canada's online university? That's Athabasca University with an amazing array of programs and courses that offer you the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. 
Maybe there's a week where you've got 40 hours to really dive into your studies as you expand your skill set, as you grow your knowledge. Maybe other weeks you've got literally zero time. It doesn't matter. You're not truant. You're not getting docked marks for not showing up because it's on your schedule with Athabasca University at AthabascaU.ca. Well, we're, of course, learning more. I mean, these past couple of years have been such a learning experience when it comes to this pandemic and the management of it from two weeks to bend the curve to the mask debates to the airborne or otherwise. Remember everyone carrying hand sanitizer around all the time, let alone the learning that we've been embarking on when it comes to long COVID. Researchers tell us that 10 percent of COVID patients will become so-called long haulers and deal with the symptoms of long COVID. That's an enormous number of people considering how many Canadians and how many people on planet earth have contracted this coronavirus over the past couple of years. Dr. Manali Mukherjee is a researcher and assistant professor in the Division of Respirology in the Department of Medicine at McMaster University. She's a translational scientist with the Research Institute of St. Joe's in Hamilton, Ontario. Tara Madden is a communications director for a medical association. She's based here out of Edmonton, a mom of two who contracted COVID over Christmas, and she has since been assessed with having long COVID. I'm grateful that the both of you have agreed to join us here today. Doctor, why don't we begin with you? How did you get into researching long COVID and, and what are some of the, I guess, do we call them discoveries that we understand early in this process with regards to the implications of so-called long haulers? We'll just get Thank you, you Ryan, you go, for doctor. having me here. Oh, I just unmuted myself. There we go. There you go. Thank you so much for having me here. Um, how I got into it? Well, uh, you know, we researchers, we always have a warm within us. Uh, we always have a need to know. If there is an unknown out there, we'll try and figure it out, and especially if it falls within the realms of our study area. So when COVID hit, and especially when there was long COVID, uh, there were obvious immunological underpinnings of what could lead to long COVID. And being a trained immunologist myself, um, I started having a few hypotheses of myself um, and uh, started looking at it. There were some basic uh, data that was coming out from my lab at that time, which uh, gave me, which made me believe that there is some some merit to my hypothesis. And we put in a grant together. We assembled a nice big team uh, with collaborators in UBC as well in, in British Columbia. And uh, we went for the grant and we were, we were granted the grant from COVID Immunity Task Force. And we have been studying uh, long COVID patients very systematically with very well set questions so that we can really understand what is going on. And of course, I have a personal reason. I myself, I'm, I was uh, suffering from it. Uh, I'm still suffering from it and um, the anxiety that it was causing me made me realize that there are a number of people out there who are just as anxious and, uh, you know, we need an answer. What an interesting position to be in, doctor, to be one that is living with the condition that you are researching. That's that's in, in the field of medicine. That's got to be relatively rare, isn't it? Um, if you if you actually look at it very closely, I think uh, personal 
experience when something is close to home often becomes a source of motivation mm. so maybe you may not be suffering it but you may have seen somebody very close to you suffering it so um pre covid i am essentially a respiratory scientist i work on um diseases like chronic asthma and um pouring into lung cancer uh, that's also because i've seen it too close uh, at home so you 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 always start thinking and you want to know the why's and you know you want to know the hows and when you're trained and you can do something about it that's what gives you the motivation you will actually see it's not that rare Wow. Very well said. Uh, Tara, you know, this is, uh, I mean, to paint a picture here, when we understand that approximately 10% of uh, people who contract COVID will live with the so-called long COVID symptoms, we recognize how many thousands, how many millions of people around the world that represents. You are one of them. Some folks will have contracted COVID two years ago. Some of them, like you, more recently, right around Christmas time, Christmas Eve, in fact. So when did you know that this was more than quote unquote, just COVID? I mean, what sort of symptoms did you experience where you said, I think this might be long COVID? What prompted you to look into it? I think for me, um, the symptoms I was experiencing were a lot more significant than what um, a number of people were indicating they were experiencing. And they dragged on. Um, I was rolling into week two and then into week three and was still having the same issues and some of the same challenges that just weren't going away. Um, I connected with my physician, I was screened for pneumonia, that was clear, but it was very evident that there was still some things going on. And in you know conversation with my family physician and with AHS, um, I indicated that from their perspective and from what's known, the marker for long COVID is that the symptoms and the issues, when you're no longer infectious, the issues still continue and they continue past the three, four week mark. And at that point, you would anticipate in a normal progression of infection that that had um, would have been minimized. And that wasn't the case for me. So that's when I got the assessment of long COVID, which was a bit of a blow. I saw you you tweet yesterday. You, you were basically promoting your appearance here on the show, which we appreciate, by the way. And, and, <laughs> and, and you said, I'm going to be talking about the symptoms of long COVID. You said, uh, I, I, no real surprise, I knew in my heart and my head that this wasn't going to go as well as I would have hoped. You said, I'll be fine. It just means this journey will take me longer. But when I told my boss, you know what his response was, you said to suggest a meeting to review how I'm doing, what it might mean for my workload, how he can best support me. You see, I know many have not been so fortunate. So a shout out to the bosses and the leaders who see the value of their people and that if their people feel supported, they realize that everybody wins. Um, you said yesterday in promoting your appearance, you said you're going to you said you're going to hear long COVID in my voice for people that are used to hearing yeah. you talk. You said you'll hear it in my voice. What are some of the other symptoms and, and how has I mean, you're, you're a supportive boss is obviously a lot of people are going to go. I wish I had that scenario. Can you provide some insight into how that's playing out and how it's helping you? For sure. So from a symptom perspective, um, it varies day to day. Some days are good. Some days are not so good. Um, I tend to have usually about two days a week where I have to work from bed. I need to nap a lot. Um, fatigue is significant. Um, obviously, I have ongoing throat and voice issues. Um, and uh, shortness of breath, getting dressed in the morning can leave me breathless. I am um, physically, I've always been in good shape. I have no underlying health concerns. I have no health conditions of any kind. Um, so the issues that I'm facing came as a surprise. I think the biggest piece for me is I've heard from a number of people who are continuing to experience long COVID issues and the support 
isn't there for them. Um, I have to go say right off the bat, I'm incredibly fortunate. I am well supported at home. I'm well supported by my friends and family. And as I mentioned, my um, employers has been incredibly supportive as have my colleagues. And when the first response that he gave was, let's talk about what this means for you and how we can support you, I think is what a lot of people are not uh, experiencing. And to me, that's the biggest piece of advocacy that I can do is that if you support the people around you, that supports our society, that supports the workplace. There's a lot of talk about the economic impacts of COVID. If you've got 10% of those who've been infected who are going to suffer from long-term uh, ramifications from it, then we need to take a look at what that means for the workforce. We need to take a look at what that means for, for carrying on and how do you support those individuals. Um, you know, a lot of people have been impacted by COVID. They've been impacted by just being a part of a global pandemic. That's traumatic. They've been impacted by restrictions, by economic challenges. But there are people who are impacted by the infection itself. It's not just whether they've been hospitalized, not just the fatalities. And I am not by any stretch diminishing the importance of that, nor am I comparing myself to that. But there are those of us who are going to carry on with impact as a result of just the infection itself. And I think it's possible to acknowledge all of those individuals, support all of those individuals. We all deserve compassion. We all deserve support. We all deserve resources. And that comes from awareness and it comes from people stepping up and saying, you know what, I've got your back. How do we help you? Yeah, and it's well said. And this is going to become more and more and more relevant as time passes. And as, as this, you know, becomes the story for more and more people, unfortunately, Dr. McCurdy, it obviously would be completely unfair and irresponsible for me to ask you to provide Tara with some sort of diagnosis and let her know how long this is going to last because every person's different and it'll be case specific. I think of my uncle Keith, my dad's older brother who contracted polio as a kid and, and still decades later has a hard time reaching out with his one hand, with his one arm and, and pouring a pitcher of water into a glass. I mean, he, he has a very difficult time with that. This big broad shouldered guy. I mean, sometimes the impacts of this type of disease uh, can last for life and sometimes it doesn't. Is it too early to say what the life of a so-called long hauler might look like over the next two or five or 10 or 20 years? I mean, will the symptoms go away for some long haulers and remain for others? Um, I think you just, your question had the answer buried in it. And it's a, it's a very well-founded question. Where we are at the uh, currently at the leg of the um, pandemic, we are seeing patients who still have uh, residual uh, symptoms persisting since their um, initial COVID infection. And I have seen, uh, in my study, I've seen uh, patients recruited who are well 16, 16 months or so up, 17 months or so up. Though the main question that we are asking, and I am very curious to know too, um, whether it stays, whether it's going to be a diagnosis for life or whether it's just going to win out. Uh, so there, there, are, there are two ways of looking at it. Initially, the first three months or so after an infection, um, it, it is not unheard of. It is not rare. Uh, it is actually very much known that viruses are notorious for uh, having these residual um, post-infection symptoms that can confuse the immune system and many many other underlying mechanisms that can lead to all these lingering symptoms and the, and the clinical manifestations of it. It is also known that they win out with time. So, uh, you know, I tweeted back uh, early Jan that 
I started smelling coffee again and I could smell my, um, uh, you know, my orange uh, bloom uh, diffuser. So I, it felt for me, um, 2022 smells like hope, you know, <laughs> but it might not be so relevant for a lot of other uh, people. A, a number of people still don't have their sense of smell. But then sense of smell is something that sometimes you can live with, but the more bigger problems are when you're dealing with debilitating fatigue, like Tara just now said, I mean, there are days that I work from my bed, like I cannot not work, but I cannot get myself up because I'm just so fatigued or I can't work, I can't do night halls anymore, which was the best time when I would work before, like, mm. you know, after dinner, sit down and work. No, I can't do that anymore. And those effect, those will affect your workout, but those will affect your productivity. Uh, and, and for like, you know, for working mothers, uh, for, for single fathers, for people with uh, trying to have a work and a life balance, these, these things are, are serious things to think about. So what we are trying to do, and I know a number of uh, investigators around the globe and in Canada trying to do is really trying to nail it down saying how for how many people the symptoms wane out for how many people it will end up with uh you know with longer uh, time and for how many people it might actually end up being uh uh like like a diagnosis for life where they will end up with disability is that 10 percent? i don't think so i think we it'll unfurl and we will see how it goes i'm hoping that we all get better I'm hoping this will stick around maybe for a year. For some people, it's three months. Some people, it's six months. A lot of our patients that we early we recruited early, um, their symptoms have gone better. The patient reported outcomes are showing that uh, you know they do get better. But a subset of them, they still have symptoms. So we are very we are still very early on to really answer that. But I can uh, I can absolutely confirm that that is the question that is being asked. So, for example, for you, Tara, I'm not a physician, I'm a scientist, but from what I study, especially when it comes to a pandemic, even like we are all trying to give medical community an answer uh, for you. Um, I think there is a lot of hope. Let's let's just see whether your symptoms stay on until three months beyond three months. You know, that will be a confirmed diagnosis of long COVID as per the um um, as per the definition of uh, CDC and NICE, but right now you are a long COVID patient with a more subacute form because you're within the immediate one month and three month uh, bracket. I hope you get better by three months, but if it's not above three months, you might fall within some of us who are who still have lingering symptoms. And interestingly, it's not just the hospitalized people. It's not just the ICU people. We see a lot of people who have recovered from home, at home, who 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 are having these persistent symptoms? So it has nothing to do with who got hospitalized should should get the medical care. I think anybody who had COVID, whether they recovered at home, whether they had mild symptoms, whether they were asymptomatic, if they suddenly start getting symptoms that they cannot attribute to any other disease, uh, it absolutely makes sense for them to get themselves to a long COVID clinic or get checked by a physician because they may have long COVID. We had, uh, we've had conversations with, with COVID patients on the show many times. Uh, I, you know, I, I think of uh, one by the name of Ashley that joined us and, and talked about her long COVID experience. This was almost a year ago. Um, she was going to join us as our third today, by the way, and, and she was unable to make it because she had a pre-scheduled ultrasound she's expecting, and we're so thrilled for her and wish her the, the best outcome on all fronts, of course, with her pregnancy. But I, I would imagine symptoms 
of long COVID combined with, do you say symptoms of pregnancy? Is that a weird way to put it? But the what comes along with growing a human inside, I would imagine that Ashley's being put through the ringer. I know she's up for it, though. Uh, Tara, have you experienced um, cynicism from some people, skepticism from some people when the subject of long COVID, I want to ask both of you this question, but you first, Tara, have people, have you seen some blowback from people who are not quite sure if it's actually a thing? Oh, yep. I was informed that I'm it's psychosomatic and I'm hypochondriac, <laughs> um, for sure. That hasn't been extensive. I think, honestly, for a lot of people, they just really don't understand it. And I'll be the first to say I didn't either. Um, it's not something I considered. When I got COVID, I, I assumed that it would just run its course and we would be fine. And I knew of people who had long COVID but wasn't as familiar with it. But certainly there are people who are quite dismissive of it um, and have some pointed views that they want to share with me about that and that's that's the right i don't have neither the energy nor the desire to try to convince anybody otherwise i don't think there's much value at this point we're so far into this that if they're not hearing what's being said then that's that's not on me huh <laughs> doctor do you, do you hear the same thing i mean I, I i this is purely anecdotal but i i do see some people not quite sold on this idea let me first of all say i don't think it matters <laughs> if you're experiencing something and you're getting medical advice on it i don't really care what my next door neighbor believes or doesn't believe about my personal experience i'm not sure that that's relevant however i do think that on a platform like this it's important that we address that skepticism would you speak to it doctor and I always believe that when it comes to skepticism, cynicism, it's basically the fear. People always fear the unknown. People will always um, relate to something that they have experienced or they have known of. When it comes to something unknown, there is always this doubt and un anything unknown will always creep in a fear. So I think all these cynicism and skepticism comes from not knowing and not addressing the fact that uh, there is something to know and to know from people who are going through it, to know from people who are studying it, to know from people who are more knowledgeable about it. In times of COVID, everybody has become an immunologist, everybody has become a doctor, you know? So all we do is just smile and nod along because we know what we are seeing. Um, you will be surprised, Tara, that um, this, like, you know, unfortunately, what you are going through is almost uh, a year from when long COVID actually started being, you know, um, uh, being highlighted. It was after some massive efforts done by some early long haulers who didn't even know if they had COVID because the early leg of the pandemic, they didn't have PCR tests as available. So, so they didn't know, but they still came together as a com community that was suffering. They emp empathized with each other and they got this market survey out and they said that, oh, my God, uh, it cannot be just a, a, you know, a psychosomatic thing because there are people who are reporting the similar symptoms that have never known each other. Right. So there are there are almost 200 symptoms as of today that has been reported associated with long COVID. But there are some common ones that are there like brain fog, neurocognitive, mild issues like memory losses, difficulty to focus. Um, there has been uh, GI issues that has been reported, but we all, the most common ones are chronic fatigue that keeps coming on and off, uh, exertional dyspnea, which means shortness of breath when you're trying to like, you know, do some exercise, take a flight of stairs and stuff. These are common and, and, and a little more milder symptoms like loss of smell or having uh, phantom smells, uh, loss of taste. So you see, the, the, these are things that are there. Not everybody is having every symptom. 
you may you're you're having like it's but there's a constellation of symptoms out there so it is not unreal it is there there will be skeptics there will be cynics the whole point is uh, to know what you're believing to have honesty in your belief and to be determined on that on that path how does that make you feel tara you know i i've been asked a few times how i feel about um, what's happening and and uh it's I think you hit the nail on the head. It's fear. Uh, Ben, that feeds skepticism for sure, but it also feeds anxiety for myself. I don't know what to expect. I don't, you know, when is this going to get better? Is this going to get better? Is something going to change permanently for me? And what is that going to mean? And I'll deal with it. Um, But it's, it is comforting to know that they're, that you're not alone because I think the people I've spoken to ultimately, we feel a little lonely. Um, and, you know, I'm trying to get through my day. I'm trying to get through my day-to-day activities. A lot of it, you hide some of the stuff that's going on because it's just easier to power through. So knowing there are other people you can talk to, knowing that there are other supports out there, knowing that there is validity to the uh, experience that we're having. Um, it's not just anecdotal. It's being supported by others' experiences. That's It's validating for sure. And um, it's, but, uh, you know, I think I feel fear. Like, I don't like this. <laughs> I'm not enjoying my experience i worry about what it means for my family my kids have gotten used to be being sick and i don't mm. love that um so there are a lot of emotions at play and for me i'm early enough into this that i'm still processing so having this information I, this has been so beneficial hearing some of the background on the research i really appreciate you sharing that because that's that helps to inform my understanding of my situation as well as being able to support the people around me because there are others around me experiencing very similar things yeah strength in numbers it's one of those things and it's kind of i mean a little bit up in the air isn't it doc i mean like you say like one day i don't know if it was suddenly i don't want to put words in your mouth but all of a sudden you could smell coffee again and that's going to be a huge uh you know encouragement to people that have lost their sense of smell meantime uh one of my friend's wives uh, very interesting both of them contracted covid his symptoms were very mild the entire time she became quite sick um he can taste everything right now she still months later can't taste anything i mean it's an individual thing and i don't know that you can sort of proclaim to someone symptoms will typically last between three and 12 weeks Uh, you can't make that type of proclamation right now i know that there are people that may be interested in participating doc in your study are you are you still keeping that door open i i I think at last glance i saw you were talking to about 120 people Are, are you still looking for more um we we are looking at 120 at the moment because that's uh, because we, we are within a budget, uh, the, 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 the resources and what can be done is always, um, limited, but we are hoping that if we can get our 120 patients and we can get our data out then, and, and if it is something that needs more probing, um, we will open up and we will ask for more funding from the government or, or from, from any other granting, uh, authorities suitable, we will go for that. Um, that said, I, I do want to uh, make a point that um, you there always needs to be a definition to a- have some place where it is where you cut down on the variables, especially when you're trying to study something. If you have too many variables, it becomes difficult to reach a conclusion that is conclusive, right? Mm-hmm. So to to make sure that that conclusion can be reached, we are keeping. And, and it is the definition that is currently built, like seen is that anybody who has persistent symptoms not attrib- attributable to other diseases 12 weeks and after that is where what we are um, recruiting as long COVID and that is what we are believing as long COVID because we are hoping that a number of them will get better by 12 weeks. 
So that's the hope you see. And, and, and hope is a big thing. I think the problem which, which completely shatters this, it's almost like Hulk smashing through a bloody building, is that when there are conspiracy theories that comes in and, and you have uh, horrible trolls uh, on, on Twitter and on Insta who are just trolling and, and, and you're like, I'm only seeing what I'm studying. You know, and, and but they, they will be there. But all I would say to the community is that we're all in it together to the ones who have who are going through long COVID to the ones who have who are getting better, the ones who are supporting family members who have long COVID and to the ones who have thankfully no idea about it. Feel blessed. Be with us as, as like, you know, we are in it as a society. Have faith and we'll get it out, get out of it or we'll find something out of it that we 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 can be rest assured that that's 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 going to be what we'll be doing but at least we find an answer and we'll be in it together so yes my my way of contributing to that is uh doing what i have been trained in is to is to do a, a trial to study it to study the immunology there are a lot of people who are doing that and and everybody has a part to play in it whether you as a media person trying to set the right accord and right trying to get the right feeling tara as a patient advocate who's sharing what she's going through and and, and talking about the hardships and how she's feeling and giving strength to a lot of people who does not have her strength of voicing what she's going through and yet having that hope in her voice and she's smiling at me as soon as I said that by 12 weeks, a lot of people will win out. You know, that's what we have to do as a responsible community, as a responsible society to get out of this. Yeah, well, I, I know Tara a little bit. She's kind of like Chuck Norris. You know, a lot of a lot of people are going to say, you know, coming up next, COVID contracted Tara Madden. So I, I know that you're <laughs> you're not done fighting yet. Hey, let me let me read you, let me read you this tweet. This is from Nancy. I love this. She says, I'm loving real talk right now with the long COVID discussion she says tara great job ryan bringing up people denying if you're experiencing something who cares if your neighbor doesn't believe you she says i'm paraphrasing that of course but a hundred percent and she hashtags long covid kids uh, doctor before we go is that a thing i wasn't planning on asking this question but nancy brings up something great do we know anything about age demographics what about other demographics do we is, is there a particular group that's more susceptible to to become a long hauler so to speak or, or to, to contract long covid yeah, so I'm I'm dealing mostly with uh, adult populations, so above eighteen. Okay. Um, yesterday there was, I think, yesterday there was a really interesting uh, piece on the agenda at TVO where uh, Dr. Banerjee uh, from Toronto she spoke about, and she's a pediatrics, and she said that uh, yes, there are kids and mostly teenagers uh, who have long COVID. So yeah, it's it's a thing. All right. Good stuff. Um, everybody, uh, you can go back and watch the live chat later. I don't have time to read all this praise here. People are just really excited. Graham Duty, who happens to be my personal trainer, a big fan of Graham. He says, we need more scientists talking about this stuff. And of course, the anecdotal stuff, the lived experience is huge coming from both of you. And uh, I mean, look at this. Linda says, for example, she says, my teen son and I both had COVID in September. He's, he had a fever for one day, very mild symptoms for both. Uh, she says everything tasted extra salty to me, Linda. That's yes. her experience. Is that a thing? Yes. Yep. Yes. Wow. We learn something new every day on this show. And, and today that's thanks to you, Dr. Uh, Manali Mukherjee. Uh, and of course, Tara Madden joining us, both of them living with long COVID and, and doing an amazing job on the communications and the research side, doctor. Thanks to both of you for this. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. If you have a conversation like this just resonating with you 
I mean, if you want to share your experience, a lot of times an interview like this will kickstart a conversation that, as you know, extends over a period of days or in the case of long COVID, let's say months or who knows? I mean, maybe even years. This is a story that will stay on, that will stick on. And our editorial direction is made more robust, more full, more legitimate, more intuitive, more representative uh, with the more feedback that we have from you. So we encourage you to email us anytime. Matter of fact, maybe we'll award, I'm ready to award our email of the month here uh, for the month of January. Maybe that coming up in just a couple of minutes. But, but first, of course, I mentioned that hashtag, and I'm so glad that Nancy used it, because when, I, when I'm having a conversation like this and I have two seconds to duck into Twitter to see what people are saying, that's where I look. The hashtag RealTalkRJ, it is powered and has been since our, our very first month here on Real Talk. I believe it's more than a year ago already. By the amazing team at Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider. You'll find them online at parkpower.ca. There's been something going on over the past couple of weeks, and we've been sharing these posts with you. Tweets and Instagram posts from Real Talkers that have taken their business from the big giant companies over to Park Power for electricity, natural gas, and internet. They're telling us they're saving money. They're saving money on mass in significant amounts. Now, well, of course, I can't guarantee that for you in any way. I know what I'm seeing. You can compare rates right now at parkpower.ca. And if you'd like to take your business, when you'd like to take your business over, they'll handle all of the uncomfortable stuff like breaking up with your current utilities provider, all the details on their website. Our friends at Local Waste encourage you to connect with them today for a bin. They operate across the prairies, Saskatchewan and Alberta. They've got offices in Regina and Edmonton. And of course, you know that they're in the business of construction, commercial and residential waste and recycling collection. In other words, they do it all. So whether you've got a landscaping project, maybe you're purging something, potentially your family's preparing for an estate sale. Maybe it's a roofing job, a siding job. Who knows? They've got the 10-foot bins, the big 40-foot bins. And, of course, they do the one-time deals and the ongoing relationships with small and big businesses as well. You can request a quote today on their website at localwaste.ca. Don't forget, they present Trash Talk every Friday here on the show. Your chance to get whatever you need off your chest. And that's, of course, based on emails we receive to our inbox. I told you a little bit about Park Power. Did you know that they partner with Kubi Energy. I love it when Real Talk sponsors come together on this. Now, Kubi, as you know, is providing solar energy solutions to power your life, commercial, industrial, agricultural, residential, across Western Canada. They're based out of Kamloops, BC, Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, Kubi's got a great deal with Park Power, where when your solar installed system starts to provide more power than you need well the team at park power can make sure that that puts money in your pocket you can find out more by getting started at kubienergy.ca and go from there learn more about their products and services online well if you're watching us on youtube you've seen me sipping from this this is called our real talk crescent mug this is our mug version two our official issue studio mug and we give one away of course we ship it right to your door to one real talker every month who we deem to be the author of the Real Talk email of the month. We get a whole bunch of emails and we try to set one or two or three aside. So at the end of the month, we review and say, who's really prompted discussion? Who's really moved the ball forward, so to speak? And the Real Talker, uh, the author of the email of the month for January is Allie. Congratulations, Allie. Uh, Allie wrote in on January 18th. That was a day after my January 17th conversation with psychotherapist Whitney Goodman who talked to us about toxic positivity. 
uh, I'm summarizing, but kind of the pressure to come across as positive or feeling great all the time. It was an amazing conversation. If you missed it, go to our podcast archive, our YouTube archive and look for January 17th. Ali said, my experience with this concept of toxic positivity has existed before I even knew what to call it. She says, I lost a parent to their mental illness when I was 14 and I lost the other parent for a number of years to the subsequent heartbreak and grief and mental illness that they faced as a result. Allie went on to tell us she's 35 now. She says it took me 20 years to grieve the loss of my dad. And the only reason that I felt allowed to grieve that loss, allowed to have the time or space to do it, is because I also recently experienced the loss of a failed marriage. She went on to tell us all about it. You can hear her full email on the January 18th show. She poured out her heart. She said humans are afraid of pain and illness and death and discomfort. And the single worst practice that anyone can engage in is policing the pain of others in order to avoid their own. She says, I hope the discussion on Real Talk encourages people to sit with their reactions that are unhelpful and arise from their personal desire to avoid fear and grief because the rest of us need community to validate our experience. Ali signed off by saying practice empathy as often as you can. I love it. Allie, congratulations. We'll be in touch and we'll get you one of those real talk mugs. We also got a couple of emails that I wanted to share with you before we take ourselves out to the mountains. You know, that's a Wednesday tradition here on the show. You remember Allison that wrote in when I was talking last week about CPR? Allison's an ER nurse and, and she said, Jesperson, it's not helpful to say that that CPR only helps 5 or 10% of people. She says it's incredibly important to keep the blood moving through people. It can cut down on brain damage once the ambulance arrives. Once they're at the hospital, it's integral that that CPR be performed. It's integral that people understand more about it. And then the universe put us in a really interesting scenario, which I told you about on Monday's show, right out of the gates, if you missed it, about our pond hockey classic and a young man experiencing a medical incident and going down on the ice and having his life literally saved by a fellow by the name of Colton who performed CPR until the defibrillator was there and ultimately until the ambulance arrived. I still get chills thinking about it. I'm always going to get chills thinking about it. Well, Allison heard the story and she wrote back again. And she said, after hearing Monday's show and the events of the weekend, I felt the need to reach out again. I'm not particularly superstitious or spiritual by nature. But every now and again, I'm reminded of just how connected, how interconnected the world can be. And I'm so grateful for moments like this. Moments where seemingly benign experiences like listening to a podcast or writing an email or attending a charity hockey tournament can turn into so much more than just the day-to-day motions. In some special cases, these moments become transformational, even life-defining. Allison says, I can't tell you how thankful I am. There were people there to help when help was needed the most. I'm so relieved that that hockey player is able to recover and live life longer. And we've heard from him, by the way. He's recovering. She said, I also can't begin to share what it was like to feel heard on an issue near and dear to my heart. She says, pun fully intended. After the struggle that has been the last two years, she says, thank you for Real Talk. Thank you for the platform. Thank you for the voice to issues that matter. Take care, Real Talkers, and stay safe. That from Allison and ER nurse amazing i'm just i'm just still rattled by that in the best way and i want to let you know that as a matter of fact this show's commitment to cpr training we're just getting started behind the scenes and and this is actually going to lead to something really cool and and so i'm looking forward to that 
We are going to get you out to the mountains right now because this is our Wednesday tradition, an opportunity to take the, the metaphorical lungs full of fresh air that you'll find only in Jasper National Park. It's My Jasper Memories, presented proudly every Wednesday here on the show by our friends at Tourism Jasper. And this is, we hope, a helpful heads up to those of you lovers out there that have perhaps failed to realize or perhaps failed to put the plans in place for Valentine's Day. That's right. It's coming up in 12 days from now. Why not head out to romantic Jasper, Alberta? Valentine's Day is a great excuse to show your partner that you love them in new and exciting ways. So why limit it to one day a year? I mean, there's so many romantic ways that couples can spend Valentine's in Jasper. As you can see, obviously, getting out there on skis, on snowboards, whether your heels are locked in or not, the cross-country or downhill variety, what an amazing way to get outside. Of course, skiing or snowboarding at Marmot Basin. More adventurous couples may be into a Moline Canyon ice walk. It doesn't get any more stunning than that. Moline Canyon in winter. It's hard to describe. You can skate hand in mittened hand on magical glacier-fed lakes like the groomed ovals at both the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge and Pyramid Lake. We're so excited as a family to be heading out to Pyramid Lake this weekend, and I'll be sharing more with you on that adventure coming up in a later edition of Real Talk. You can rent a romantic cabin to cuddle up fireside. What about a couple's massage? What about stargazing in the winter with a Jasper Planetarium experience or go really special? Hey, blow your loved one's doors off. Knock their socks off with a helicopter tour. You can find out more, including some of the high-profile, fabulous restaurants in Jasper by checking out the website. That's jasper.travel slash realtalk. They've got some great resources there. You can also check out not just the information on Opportunities for lovers, uh, Valentine's in Jasper, but also past episodes, past editions of my Jasper memories here on the show, including my recent trip to Jasper, that one back in September where I showed off some photos, and of course last week's edition where I showed you about our winter adventure there, including an unbelievable day on the slopes at Marmot. Again, jasper.travel slash realtalk. We'd love to see your photos and videos using the hashtags myjasper and realtalk. RJ. Sarah Hoyles has been producing this show from home, doing a really remarkable job, um, including managing, of course, all of her furry family members. Hoyles, I saw that you sent me a personal text about the cat walking across the desk, and, and I actually think it fills my heart when I see it. You've, you've got a full house there, and I would imagine that your heart is full right along with there. Um, that, uh, that long COVID conversation was really fascinating. You know what it reminded me? And I, and I want to be, I'm almost quite hesitant to, to make this statement uh, because I'm not comparing the medical issues, and I'm not, but I was telling you, we did a deep dive in my previous radio gig, a deep dive on Lyme disease. And it was fascinating for me to realize and recognize there's a lot of folks that are that are dealing with Lyme disease that will look you in the eye and say, let me tell you about it. This is the real deal. It is devastating. It is impacting me in a major way. And I have a hard time finding information, let alone supports for it. And then you've got a whole bunch of other people saying Lyme disease is not a thing. Lyme disease is not real. And I'm not comparing the afflictions. And I'm not comparing the scenarios except to say long COVID kind of strikes me as a, a similar experience for a lot of people where they swear 
And of course, this is their experience. They don't have to prove it to anybody else. They say months later, I'm still short of breath. I still have brain fog. I can't taste anything. I can't smell anything. And other people are going, eh, it's a figment of your imagination. I'm grateful we had a chance to talk about it on the show. Yeah, that whole idea of, oh, they just want attention. They're just, yeah. they're just seeking attention. They, uh, yeah, they, they're imagining it, which is not helpful. Not helpful in any way, shape, or form. And why would anybody pretend? I mean, that's also when people are... Um, having suicidal ideation and are having issues, um, experiencing mental health issues. It's not something that any, I would wish on anybody. And the idea that someone would make it up or pretend just for attention, um, maybe there's one person out there, but the, the vast majority, um, it's, it's, it's awful to experience so why would anybody pretend yeah <laughs> yeah I, w- I was really i was really grateful that you booked that segment sarah and obviously that's something we have this kind of long list this working list we got obviously hoyle stays on top of all this stuff in a way that i couldn't but you know we're, we're keeping an eye on about a million stories at once and this is one that we will continue to follow did you see my interview yesterday with amber cannon Uh, This is one of the more powerful interviews that we've heard in the last while. Amber reached out to us after we talked about new initiatives in Toronto and Calgary and Red Deer and other Canadian cities, Edmonton included, to divert calls, 911 calls away from police and toward community supports. Well, Amber joined me to talk about her personal experience, her mental health journey, her so-called Form 10s, where she has called in looking out for herself in the midst of a mental health crisis and has been detained by police, taken in, processed. She talked about the impact of that, her lived experience. It's another angle on that story, and it was a powerful one. And I wanted to read you an email from Sarah, Sarah who wrote in after we talked to Amber, and I thought that this was just beautiful. She said, pretty nails painted red, hand on her heart, spoon collection in the background with spots left to fill. She says, you asked an important question. What would make you feel valued? Human. Sarah says, we can all do better. I know I could. Even if we just asked the question you asked a few more times a day during our interactions. Sarah says, this segment caught me off guard. Thank you for having Amber on your show. I took a second to read that email. And then I took a few more seconds to read it again. And I was very grateful that Sarah so beautifully found the words to describe the impression that that interview had on her. I'm grateful that Amber took the time to speak with us. It took a great deal of courage. And if you didn't yet check out that interview from yesterday's show, that's the February 1st edition of Real Talk, I encourage you to do exactly that. These conversations happen because we have sponsors that are committed to real talk. And that includes the team at Eden Landscaping. I've been reminding you. And by the way, I'm speaking from personal experience because we're looking to get Eden doing some work at our place. And so when I say now's the time to reach out to them and now's the time to kickstart the conversation, I know that because that's what we're doing. We want to make sure that we can get some work done in our backyard to be ready for the months where it's worth it. The June, July, August, September stretch. But with the availability or or perhaps the shortage when it comes to certain construction materials, when it comes to the supply chain, the planning process, the permits that need to be pulled and everything else, Mike and his team are encouraging you today to get in touch with them now to ensure there's plenty of time to bring your outdoor space to life. 
Eden Landscaping is a custom landscape builder with more than two decades of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area. Regardless of what you need, excavation, retaining walls, stonework, outdoor kitchens, water features, and more, they've done it, and they're the best at it. You can find the proof at landscapeedmonton.ca. I also wanted to tell you about our friends, the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Of course, you know that they've always got monthly specials for real talkers. And one of the things that we're keeping an eye on right now, because how could we not? Just in time for February, just in time for Valentine's Day, is the Red Velvet Cake Blizzard. It's not here around the clock. It's not here around the year. It's here now, though, at the Dairy Queens and Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. The Red Velvet Cake Blizzard. What a perfect treat for the loved one in your life or for you. Nobody will judge you for parking in that parking lot right outside the Dairy Queen and crushing it in three or four minutes. Wyatt Rudy, my six-year-old son, would like to remind you about the consequences of brain freeze. He said, make sure you tell real talkers about that when they crush their blizzards too fast. I said, Wyatt, I'll make sure that everybody knows. And of course, what would be this show without another mention of this Dodge Ram 1500 crew cab Longhorn that I'm driving right now. It's one of the coolest vehicles that I have ever been behind the wheel of. And I wanted to let you know that I know there's at least one other one right now on the lot. At least one other one because I saw it beautiful. Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge, they can share their inventories, which means that whether you're looking for a Ram 1500, maybe you're looking for the big 3500 one ton, maybe a Dually, or what about something out of the Jeep lineup? They've got offers on right now, specials, and they want to compete for your business. You can check out all of their inventory online via the sponsors tab on our website or of course you can go ahead and see them in person now coming up on tomorrow's show you're not going to want to miss it it's a thursday edition of real talk it also so happens to be right around calgary mayor jody gondex 100th day it's kind of tradition to talk to politicians about those first 100 days in office. That's what we'll do. Plus, Dr. Don Karen, a fashion psychologist, joins us as part of our coverage of Black History Month. And we're going to be covering that from a number of different angles, inspiring stories, enlightening perspectives. We're going to challenge each other, too. We'll talk to you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.